today on this ninth day of August, and while it's hot outside, we still haven't seen those 100 plus temperatures yet, and I'm thankful for that, but it sure does seem like it's pretty warm outside. I want to thank you for joining us today, whether you're sitting here with us or you're online, and if you're online and you've joined us, just let us know you're here. You can just drop us a little note in the comments and just let us know you're you're joining along with us, but I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord today as we boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that the blood of Christ has sufficient and he provides mercy and grace in our time of need. I want to read just a couple of verses from the first chapter of Ephesians. Paul writes, grace to you and peace from God, our father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Oh, God, we're so grateful for the privilege to be here today. And we thank you for your glorious grace and for your peace. And we ask this morning that you would help us to open our hearts, open our minds, open our very souls to you this morning. Help us to sing from our heart. Help us to hear, to listen, and to respond. Because this is the day you have made. You've allowed us to be here. And we desire to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to lay all the other things aside and to turn our hearts toward you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Grace and peace to you in the name of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just want to talk to you just for a second about something that we can do that is very important during this special season that we're in. And so I want you to think about just a minute for the word connect. We connect when we put Legos together. We connect when we plug something into the socket. We connect when we get on the internet or we connect when we talk to one another or visit one another. Some recent studies have shown that about one in three practicing Christians, which are people that 
attend a worship service, at least on a fairly consistent basis, has stopped attending church during this pandemic. And they put that attending church in the bounds of viewing an online service or actually in-person services. So roughly one out of every three people have either stopped coming to church or stopped engaging in an online service. And so there's an incredible need among God's people to connect, to provide support for those that are in the community of faith and those that are outside of the community of faith. Now we all know that we were created for relationship, and so building connections is so important. And in the days that we're in, that can be a phone call, it can be a text message, it could be a handwritten card, it could be an in-person visit. If someone's comfortable, it could be a conversation at the front door. There's just simple ways that we can be connected. But I want to encourage you in these, in these days to, to take steps to, to gather together, whether it's simple and informal, just getting together with a friend or maybe two or three friends. We have several folks that do that consistently. And just make sure you get together, you open up God's Word, you read God's Word, and you pray together. It's really a simple formula. And in this season, I just encourage you in those things to be wise about it, be considerate of other people's level of comfort, their viewpoints, and and be blessed as you join together in meeting one-on-one or in small groups to encourage one another around God's Word. And we can do that anytime. It doesn't take a you know, a calendar. It just takes picking up a phone call and saying, hey, let's get together. But there's also some other opportunities that we have here at Cross Timber, some more organized ways that we can connect. The first thing is our men's prayer group, Monday mornings, 6.30 a.m. at the Elk Diner. A great way for, for men to start the week to connect, to open up God's Word, to pray. I'm excited to, to say that we will be restarting our midweek Bible study. Um, We'll begin on August the 19th. We'll start at 11 o'clock. We will not be having a meal at first, but we'll gather here in the sanctuary. We'll have a time of singing together from the hymn book, and we'll have a time of sharing together as we study God's Word and hopefully a little bit of fellowship along the way. So there's another way. Another way is to join in our Wednesday night prayer group. We've been meeting consistently with about a group between 6 and and 9 since the beginning part of of March at 6.30 on Wednesday evenings. It's a great opportunity. I'd encourage you to be a part and to, to join in. And as things continue to improve, we, we may look to, to move that to an in-person gathering, also providing the opportunity to connect through Zoom. Another way. I have two other ways that will be beginning in the next several weeks, not really that far away. On the 23rd, on Sunday night, August 23rd, 6.30 p.m., um, John and Cindy Stanley are going to open up their home for a study, a home group. So if you're interested in being a part of that, just contact John and Cindy. They would love to tell you about it. They're going to be looking at the book of Revelation together. Just a few days later, on Tuesday evening, on the 25th, again at 6.30, Tim and Cindy Ike are opening up their home for a home group, for a time to gather together, study God's Word, to study the book of Revelation. So if those things are, are interesting to you, if you want to do that individually, if you're interested in being a part of the group, Reach out to the Stanleys or the Ikeys, let them know, and they'll be more than happy to give you more details. Just want to let you know that we, we continue to watch the, the situation. We pray for wisdom and for the improvement of, of numbers, and we look forward to the days ahead and hope you know, that 
one day in the, in the near future, we'll be able to, to gather together in more of a normal situation. There's one last thing I want to ask you to pray for. Some of you may know this, most of you may not, but beginning just a couple of weeks ago, we had a group, a team that formed together to, to look at what it makes, means to make a disciple here at Cross Timber. We're going to explore together the uniqueness of our body. Who has God made us? Who are the people that make up our body? And, and how is God using us? What is our unique role to carry out our part of the Great Commission where we're at? And so I'd appreciate you praying for these folks. Um, there's, there's four ladies. There's four men. Deborah Gillum, Tim Ike, Christina Whitson, Glenna Fowler, Curtis Biggs, Derek Mergala, Michelle West, and my myself. And we'll be meeting several times, about eight times during the next six months, gathering together, seeking the Lord as we look at what it means to make a disciple. And I'm very excited about that, and I hope you are too. And as we're able along the way, we'll be sharing with you tidbits of what, what God is saying and where we're, we're headed. But most of all, I'm excited that we could gather today to study God's Word together, to sing, to worship, and to lift up our voices to Him. And so I just encourage you this morning that you would join in worship, lift up your voices, and let's praise the Savior that we love. Let's sing together.
bursting past the borderlines of space. These are the days of Elijah, bearing the word of the Lord. The days of your servant Moses, righteousness being restored. And all these are days of great triumph, of famine and darkness and sorrow. And we are the voice in the desert, trying to prepare the way of the Lord. we were just starting to get warmed up. Maybe y'all are awake now. That's great. Well, if you have your your Bible with you or your phone, turn over to Joshua 
chapter 2, and we'll be looking there at the entire second chapter of a somewhat familiar story if you've been a part of Sunday school or any sort of Bible study. And just to let you know, last week we started an exciting study of the book of Joshua, looking at victorious living, and we started out with the idea of being strong and being courageous in the strength of the Lord and the power of His might, as Paul writes to the Ephesians. And this week, we're going to look at chapter 2, and we're going to look at the surprising grace of God. When someone's actions aren't what we expect, catches us off guard, doesn't it? We start to ask questions. What's going on? Why are they doing this? Or what in the world's got into this person? In the same way, God's grace is surprising. It's something we, we don't expect. It's something we definitely don't deserve. The fact that Jesus would come to die on the cross for our sins and by grace we can be saved through faith in Him. And that grace is so marvelous. It's so amazing as the hymn writers have described it. But it also comes with a responsibility, and that responsibility is for you and me to show grace to other people. Now, with everything going on right now in this current world, whether you want to talk coronavirus or politics, racial tension, just general strife, or maybe even the financial uncertainty, if you were to measure the tension level, the stress level, the level of disagreement, I think those numbers would be through the roof. And more than ever, I believe, we need God's grace in our lives and we need God's grace in our relationships, in our speech, in the way that we live and the way that we act. And so this morning, we're going to look at the story of Rahab and the spies. It's a familiar Sunday school story. But this morning, we... Sorry, I don't have a flannel graph for you. And I don't have a craft to make. But we do have 22 verses that are inspired by God, putting on the heart of the writer by the Holy Spirit that will help us and to guide us. And I hope this morning to explore this idea that by His grace, God redeems undeserving sinners through faith in Christ to live the victorious life. And we can find that in this story of Rahab. Let's look at it together, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. It begins in Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of the flax that she had laid there in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. 
and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please, swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother my brother and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will enter, encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which she let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into this street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. God, it is such a great and exciting privilege to study your word. And we truly believe that today, on this day, that you have a word for us. So we ask you to open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, help us to hear what you have about this amazing grace that you provide. And we trust you'll do that and you'll transform us by that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me just repeat the main idea. By God's grace, He redeems undeserving sinners through faith in Christ to live the victorious life. Now we read a lot of verses there, so let me just give you the brief recap, kind of the the fly overview. Joshua sends two spies into the land of Canaan, 
to scout out the city of Jericho. Now, a spy mission was not a new idea to Joshua. If you remember from your Bible, he was one of the 12 spies sent into the promised land. He was one of the two, along with Caleb, that came back unfearful and faithful in saying that God will give us the land. And they go to Jericho, this great walled city just on the other side of the Jordan River. It would be the first enemy they would encounter. While we don't know a lot about the city from what we've read in this verses, we do know that it was an enemy of God. It was a, a sinful city. It had a king, so it operated like a city-state, a small kingdom with a local king, and it was well fortified. It had double walls. It had an inner wall and an outer wall, and on those walls there were homes built, some of them on the outside, obviously that had windows, like the home of Rahab. These two spies go to Jericho. They arrive at Rahab's house. The narrator is careful to tell us that they stayed there. They lodged there. Rahab tells the spies, Rahab this prostitute, that the city is fearful of the power of Israel and the power of their God. Rahab hides these spies. They wind up on the roof under the flax that's drying there. And Rahab makes an agreement with these spies that would assure the protection of herself and her family. And the key phrase is, deal kindly, or your translation may say, show kindness. The spies agree and they tell her to tie a scarlet cord from her window that would mark her house when the Israelites return. And that if they did that, and if she did not tell anyone about their appearing there, that they would be faithful and she would be saved. Then she lowered him out the window by a rope, tells them to go and hide out in the mountains for a few days. She sends the other people on a wild goose chase, and then they return home back to Joshua to give a report. Now that's a brief retelling of the story, but it would be incomplete if we failed to look at the very beautiful part of the story that is right in the middle. Now we have to remember when we look at Joshua that Joshua is a narrative history. It's meant to tell us a story. And so it reads like a story. It's a story of what happened to the Israelites. Specifically how they crossed over the Jordan, entered into the promised land and began to conquer it. How God intervened on their behalf. And so the writer writes this story not just to tell us a story, but there's a reason that he tells the story. And so all through Joshua, we find these signposts that give us instructions, that give us warnings, that give us encouragement. They were important for God's people and they're important for us, the church today. And so today what we have is a word of encouragement. It's a great reminder of God's love and his grace. And it paints a beautiful picture that we need to take time to reflect upon and to reflect on again and again. Because it's way more than just a secret spy mission. No, it's a story of God's grace and redemption. And this morning we'll look at two truths together. That first of all, God extends His grace to us. And by the power of His Spirit, we extend grace to others. So let's look at the first. God extends His grace to us. 
That word grace is such a powerful word. It's a hard-to-believe word. It's a a life-changing word. We're introduced to it in the Old Testament as God's unmerited favor. A man named Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Ruth and Naomi go back home hoping to find favor, and they find the favor of God, and they find the favor of a man named Boaz. Esther, in that beautiful story, finds favor with the king. It's God's merciful kindness that's the key to salvation we find out in Ephesians. By grace, you're saved through faith. And it's the motivation. It's what keeps us going from day to day in the Christian life. And God's grace is undeserved and unexpected. Every one of us deserves to be punished for our sin. That's God's justice. We all know what that's like. You're driving down the road and you're speeding and you get pulled over. You break a rule at your home. You disobey your parents and you think this. I'm going to get it. But when grace is present, something unexpected happens. The officer lets you off with just a warning. Your mom or your dad just decide this time to go easy on you. And while you deserve punishment, you receive grace. God, in His grace, by His mercy, chooses to give us, you and me, what we don't deserve. Forgiveness and favor. It's what we see in this story. This trip to Jericho highlights this story of grace, and it's centered around this woman named Rahab. What do we know about her? First of all, she's a Canaanite. Second of all, she's a prostitute. So she's an enemy of God and she's a woman of less than reputable status. And in her story, what we read here, she lies to her king. She hides the Israelite spies. So in essence, she's a traitor. And by human standards, she would be rejected, scorned, and judged. She would be undeserving of anything. But we find that God looks at her differently. He accepts her. He's pleased to honor her faith, forgiveness, and salvation, and calls her to be his own. Why? Because God's grace is a gift. God gives it freely by His own choosing. And men and women receive it by grace. You see, Rahab and the people of Jericho, every one of them had heard these mighty acts of God. How they crossed the Red Sea. How the waters miraculously parted and they walked across on dry land and flooded across Pharaoh's army after they had crossed. How they defeated the two Malachite kings, Sihon and Og. And the people were afraid. The words that Rahab uses, the fear of you has fallen upon us. And listen to this in verse 11. Our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man. The news of this powerful Israelite nation that was just on the other side had caused their 
hearts to sink. But what stands out is this woman, Rahab, responds not in fear, but in faith. And her profession in verse 11, The Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. We see Moses saying almost the exact words in Deuteronomy chapter 4. She professes the truth of who God is. She recognizes His might, His majesty, and soon we find out that she's going to depend on His mercy. And so there's this Canaanite prostitute who makes what is essentially an Israelite confession of faith. One commentator wrote it this way, Faith is not just a warm, cozy feeling about God. Faith grows out of hearing what God has done for His people. See, Rahab heard what God had done. And she responded in faith, trust, and dependence. Oh, believer, oh, person today, the grace of God has appeared to us in Jesus. Titus 2.11 tells us we have the privilege, the, the beautiful choice of responding to His grace in faith that brings salvation, new life, new creation, changes the very course of our lives. Because God's grace is transforming, life-changing. To be freed from the penalty of God's wrath like Rahab, by grace. And in turn, Rahab, who was shown grace by God, shows grace to the spies. And then asks, those spies to show grace or to deal kindly with her. Verse 12 and 13 point to that. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that we'll deal kindly is the same word for grace. It's the word hesed for God's covenant love and it's used in a different way. We'll talk about it in a second. That make a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So do you see the movement in Rahab's understanding from God's might, from God's power, to asking, pleading for God's mercy? And the spies make good on her. They make good on her request. They, they provide provision and issue a promise that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. As a sign, they say, take this scarlet cord, place it in the window, and all who are in the house will be saved. Now, if you've read ahead, you probably know the story, and hopefully it's not a spoiler. But in chapter 6, we find out that Jericho falls. The scarlet cord is in the window. And while the city is devoted for destruction, it says, But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, her Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day. So not only is she saved and delivered, but she's welcomed in to the covenant people of God. And because of that, Rahab 
has a special place in the New Testament. Hebrews 11.31, she's listed among those heroes of faith, those faithful men and women. James uses her in James chapter 2, verse 25, as an example of the fact that faith expresses itself in action. And when we get to Matthew, we find that she has a place in the genealogy of Jesus. There's five women listed there. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. And we find in Matthew chapter 1 that Rahab, this prostitute, marries Salmon, one of the Hebrews. They had a son. His name was Boaz. may sound familiar, the story of Ruth. Ruth and Boaz marry, and they have a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David, who became Israel's greatest king. And from that line of David, there's a direct line to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you see, God's grace changed the course of history for Rahab. From a woman of ill standing, a prostitute, she receives salvation, she's welcomed into the people of Israel, and she becomes an important part of the lineage of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace still changes men and women today. It's changed my life, and maybe it's changed yours as well. When I started reading this story about Rahab, I was reminded of an evangelist I heard speak several years ago. I was probably 16 or 17, back when they used to have the evangelism conference at Tarrant County Convention Center. And this woman stood up and spoke, and her name was Iris Blue. Maybe you've heard of her. She was born in Houston. She was a rebellious child and a runaway at a very early age. And by her, in her testimony, she says, you know, I walked the aisle in a Baptist church because I didn't want to go to hell, but I didn't meet Jesus. Her life was riddled in her early years, teenage years, by drugs, promiscuity, and she says all the garbage that comes with it. She was convicted of armed robbery as a teenager and spent eight years in prison. Her sentence was only seven, but she spent another year because of her poor behavior. And about a year and a half after she was released from prison, a young man witnessed to her. And God's grace became real to her. And listen to her words. This is her quote. She said, on that day I knelt down a tramp and I stood up. A lady. Iris and her husband, Dwayne, today, they're serving as missionaries. And they say, we are not preachers. We're just satisfied customers. And just like Iris and Rahab, God values people the world disregards. He offers his unexpected, undeserved grace. And in the same way, he extends that to us. We don't deserve it. There's no way we could ever earn it. He doesn't expect us to. There's nobody that would expect it, but God provides it anyway. And what do we have to do? Turn from our sin and trust in Jesus and take advantage of the greatest free gift ever offered. And when you do, 
when you respond to this grace that God has given. He gives you new life, salvation. And He gives you the ability day to day to continue to live on with strengthening and encouragement by His grace. But He also gives us a responsibility to show grace to other people. You see, the second thing is that we can extend grace to others by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's important as we look at this story in Joshua 2 to look at this exchange of grace between Rahab and the spies to the fact that they dealt kindly with one another. Because this word hesed not only means God's covenant love, but it's also used to describe a reciprocal relationship of caring. That's the technical terminology. Let me try to make it a little more real. It's a relationship where you look out for me and I look out for you, both seeking the good of the other. And in response to God's direct grace, because those spies had surely experienced God's grace, they were about to walk into the promised land. Rahab had just experienced God's grace. And what they do is they act kindly toward one another. And as we experience God's grace, as we grow in His grace, we learn to extend it to others. We learn to take up our responsibility to be graceful. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Listen to what Paul writes. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Just kind of hold that right here. All grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That abound word means to overflow in excess, that there is an unending supply. So that out of the abundance of His grace, there is an abundance of provision for us to do every good work. To put it more simply, in Christ, we offer grace to others. It's important to remember that it doesn't have to be deserved. Most times, almost all times, without exception, it won't be deserved. It'll likely be unexpected. It'll be a big surprise. But it's transformational. As I've kind of looked around and and surveyed what's going on in the world, whether through news media or Facebook or just conversations, there's two things I think that I see that are at work and and they're both ugly. One is this notion of what we call cancel culture. You know, the idea of somebody or something like a public organization, a political figure, a company says or does something that we consider to be objectionable or offensive, then the idea is to withdraw support or maybe just get rid of them. So that's one thing. We have this cancel culture, and it's prevalent. But also I see another. It's kind of like an ugly mark on us, and that's just religious snobbery. This self-righteousness, criticalness, judgmental spirit and lack of love that is seen in God's people. And here's what I think happens sometimes. Our exclusiveness as good Christians 
or you may want to call ourselves conservatives, evangelicals, contradicts God's unexpected and inclusive grace. You can test me on this. You can go and visit with those that, have, that are marginalized in our community and ask them what they feel about the church. And they'll probably say, judgmental, exclusive. And really, I think in a lot of ways, this religious snobbery is just another version of cancel culture hidden in the disguise of standing for truth. And it's grievous to see how limited the church has become in its effectiveness when we try to do the choosing for God. When we pick who we want to love, when we pick who we want to share with, when we pick who we want to include. And along with that, there's this false idea at work that if you and I don't agree, then you must be wrong. It's common. It's all over the place. But here's the truth. Grace changes everything. Grace changes our hearts. It changes our lives. It changes our conversations. It changes our attitudes. And we grace other people, not because they deserve it. No, no, we, we grace other people because God has graced us. Because we are satisfied customers. We have experienced God forgiving the unforgivable, seemingly unforgivable in us. God who graciously deals with the log in our eye gives us the grace to deal with the speck in our neighbor's eye. And as recipients of God's grace, there's a responsibility. It's a requirement as a follower of Jesus to show grace to others. But what happens? Our flesh rejects that. I can't do that. It's one way we look at it. Or the other way, they don't deserve it. I'm never going to do that. But God's Spirit steps in, transforms, and enables us. Jesus, the one who John says came full of grace and truth, fills us by the Holy Spirit. And filled with His grace and His truth, we can extend His grace to others. Father Jimmy Nelson says it this way. He talks a lot about grace and inclusiveness, but listen to this. All types of people may con contribute and respond to the ministry of God's people if they are not dismissed as unacceptable. We extend God's grace to others. It's our responsibility. It's empowered by the Spirit. But there's also going to be the times when we are the recipients of God's grace through others. Oh, what a feeling when grace is extended to us. When the officer lets you off with just a warning. When the professor announces he's going to grade with a curve. And when you're wrong and your friend is gracious. Or when you blow it and your spouse loves you anyway. It's freeing. It's humbling. It changes us. And we're able to express gratitude from our hearts. 
because of what they've done for us. And in the same way, God empowers us to do that to others. And this grace points to transformation. It doesn't point to how good you are, to what a great person you are, how well you can control your temper. No, it points to the great God who, out of His might and mercy, extends His great to, grace to us. And when we see God's grace at work in the life of another undeserving, sinful person, it gets people's attentions. Makes you kind of scratch your head and think, why in the world would they do that? Something unexpected happens and people notice. You're at a restaurant, something happens, your order is not correct, somebody spills food on you or something, and that person has every right to ask to speak to the manager. And they don't. any number of situations where somebody has the right by the world to react and to just drop the hammer on somebody and they don't. And people say, I can't believe that she responded that way, which can be negative or can be positive or, wow, I can't believe that. You see, I think our culture is so focused on our personal rights today that when they see somebody lay down their own rights and show love, it catches people's attention and it makes a difference. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says that grace seems to go against every instinct of humanity. When you and I don't make it about who's right and who's wrong, it, it matters. When we choose to willingly lay aside our own personal rights for the good of others, it matters. We begin to look like, in some form, Jesus. And when we show grace to others, it points people to Jesus. Think about another woman in the New Testament. Jesus met her at a well, a Samaritan woman with a bunch of husbands. Jesus reached out to this outcast someone who was rejected by society, somebody who would have a hard time finding acceptance in a church, and she found acceptance and love at the feet of Jesus, didn't she? Think about how Jesus has shown grace to you. The very fact you're here right now is an act of His grace. And when you and I begin to show God's grace to people that may not agree with us and we may not agree with them. People that we have every right to be upset with because, man, they were wrong. People who don't show any regard for us, any respect for us. Somebody that has wronged us in some way. When we respond in grace, everyone around us sees and knows because it's not the typical human response has to come from somewhere it's supernatural Jesus graces you and in his power you can grace others it's all his grace the one full of grace and truth chooses to fill us with his grace that we can grace others which brings us back to what I said at the beginning 
by His grace, God redeems undeserving sinners through faith in Christ to live the victorious life. In this specific time, what does that victorious life look like? It is the ability to walk in the transforming power of grace. And here's the good news. God's grace is here today and ever, forever more in Jesus. Bringing us salvation, bringing us transformation, bringing us victory. Listen to what Titus received from Paul. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace transforms us, grace trains us, grace empowers us. I'm somewhat of a U2 fan. Even though I don't own any of their albums, I do think some of their music is kind of cool. But Bono, who has said, the lead singer, has said some pretty enlightened things along the way. He is a believer. But listen to what he said about grace. This is his definition. Grace is when love interrupts the consequences of your actions. I think you got it right. Love interrupts the consequences of your actions. That's God's grace. And as we close, let me just offer you three questions. First of all, have you received God's grace today? If not, you can. We call it salvation, trusting Christ, getting saved, starting a relationship with Jesus. It's simple. We turn from our sin and turn toward Jesus, we repent, we turn to Him, we believe in Him by faith, and we receive His grace. Second question, are you living in His grace? Or are you an ungrateful recipient? Are you a disobedient servant? Are you allowing Him to bring transformation in your life every day? Are you walking in victory by the power of His glorious grace to the praise of His glorious grace? And then the last, and probably the most challenging, is will you extend God's grace to other people? You see, this is where it gets to the point of being obedient. The first two are enjoying benefits. But this one is about responsibility. Will we be like Rahab, who expressed her faith through our actions or will we just hide behind our our words or will we be people that extend his grace to others God's grace saves it transforms God's grace brings victory to all who trust in the name of Jesus will you pray father we are near the end of our time this morning and We confess that even on our very best days, we are poor stewards of the grace that you have given us. Your grace that John Newton said saved a wretch like me brings salvation to us. Unworthy wretches, undeserving men and undeserving women who have the incredible opportunity to take advantage of the best and most wonderful free gift in all the world. 
And so for the man or the woman that has never truly received your grace for salvation, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, you've also shown us in your word that you provide your grace as something to be with us, to strengthen us, to teach us for each and every day that we can continually be transformed and formed into the likeness of Jesus, that we can walk not in defeat but in victory. And so for those that are followers of Jesus, Lord, grant us your strength, grant us understanding into the depth and the riches of your grace and mercy to walk a transformed life in victory. And Lord, we, we confess that many times we operate our life in a way that's disobedient to you. That we withhold grace to others. Or we disperse grace at our own choosing and not according to what you would have us to do. And so Lord, help us today to deal kindly with others in the way that you have dealt kindly with us and that our faith would be lived out, not just talked about. And that you would use us as catalysts in our families, in our church, in our community, in our world to share the good news of grace. Help us to be like Iris and Dwayne, receivers of your grace who say that we're just satisfied customers. Lord, help us to share your love and your grace for your glory. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we come to our time of decision. Just let me frame it around those three questions. It's salvation. Have you received that grace? Whether you're here or whether you listen to this some other time. Have you turned from your sin and turned to Jesus? Are, are you living in His grace? You know, are you settling for the second best in life when God has the best? Today can be the beginning of enjoying that transformational, victorious life that He offers. And then third, it may just be a time of, of confession before the Lord, just honesty, confessing the, the sin of withholding grace, whether it be through being judgmental or just being angry. And that we would confess that to God and step forward in obedience, asking that He would help our faith to be lived out for all to see. So around those three questions, just ask you to consider what the Lord has spoken to you. And as we sing together, I trust you um, will respond. So will you join us as we sing and will you stand as well?
thank you for joining us for worship this morning. I encourage you to read Joshua chapter 3 next week. So we're going to cross the, the Jordan River, and you don't have to wear mud boots. So uh, we'll be excited to share that, that story and see what God has for us from Joshua chapter 3. Pray this week that the Lord would bless you, that His, His grace would be evident to you in everything that you see Him do, and that you would be a messenger of His grace, and that we would have opportunities throughout the week to grace one another and to grace others for His glory. Lord bless you. We're going to sing a song, and when the music starts, you're dismissed. So Lord bless you. Behold, Behold His.